For the best part of this decade, the negotiations to bring New Zealand's copyright law into the digital age have been esoteric and obscure. Attempts to update it to deal with the growing number of illegal downloads of music and movies have met with fierce opposition. In the wake of innovative internet protests, the government put the relevant clause on ice, but it's about to try to tackle the issue again. Kim Griggs finds out just what the debate is about. I'm searching for a song, so I might search for something like, I don't know, Kanye West and one of his songs, so Heartless, off his new album, and then I just click on the search um, button on the right-hand side and the songs start coming up on the screen. And so, yeah, that's just gone to a file on my computer now and now I've got the song. In a few clicks, 20-year-old university student Kate has downloaded this Kanye West song onto her computer. She's accessed it from other people's computers using a file-sharing program called LimeWire. You download from their files, and then once you've got it downloaded, other people can download from your file. And so I'll double-click on that. So what is that saying? LimeWire is unable to find a licence for this file. Download it anyway. So... (laughs) And it's asking you to please respect your local copyright laws. Yeah. So what are you going to do? I'm going to click yes, download it anyway. And from there, she can transfer it to a disc, to an MP3 player, and others can transfer that song from her computer onto theirs. It's all free, and it's all illegal. The music industry says it's got to stop. Theft, in the short term, may see you know, real downside, but in the long term, it could totally decimate creative industries. The illegal downloading of movies has also got the film industry up in arms. Well, the people who create copyright don't get a fee. They don't get paid to do that, necessarily. The reward comes from selling what is made at the end of it. So people who steal on this and who believe that there is no no value in copyright, in my view, are parasites. In an effort to try to address the problem of illegal downloading, Parliament last year passed an amendment to the copyright law. But protest about one of its clauses, known as Section 92A, saw the new national-led government decide to stop its implementation. The wording of the clause said that internet service providers had to adopt and reasonably implement a policy that could mean the termination of the internet account of a repeat infringer. The aim? To stop what some say has been the gutting of the music and film industry. Campbell Smith, the chief executive of the Recording Industry Association of New Zealand, or RIANS, says the industry has halved over the past seven years. The industry used to be worth something around $120 million. It's now worth 60, and it's really sliding fast. The last three years has seen... It hasn't been a gradual decline over seven years. It's really been one that in the last three years has been you know, horrific, horrifically steep. Campbell Smith puts much of that decline down to the 200,000 computer users he estimates share files over the internet in New Zealand. That peer-to-peer or file-sharing traffic is estimated to be up to 70% of all internet traffic, maybe even 90% at night, and most of that traffic is probably illegal. In gyms, cafes and lifts, music has become the soundtrack to much of daily life and most of it has to be paid for. Anthony Healy oversees the New Zealand arm of the Australasian Performing Rights Association, 
an organisation that collects those payments for songwriters. From where I talk about songwriters, I talk about individual people. I talk about people here in New Zealand and all around the world, in fact, who may toil for days, weeks, months, even years over a song, where the end result provides us, people in New Zealand, people all around the world, with an enormous benefit if the song is good enough. And and those people that are out there that are creating these small pieces of magic need to be rewarded. What enables these creators to be rewarded is copyright. Put simply, copyright is a bundle of rights which exist once an idea is given concrete form. That form can be a song, a film, a book, a cartoon, a map, or even an email. And the copyright owner has the right to decide how it's used, and to get paid for it. As a freelance journalist and an advocate for writers' rights, I know only too well that retaining and exploiting copyright is essential for a fair income. Anthony Healy argues receiving that income in the digital world should be no different to the real world. And if you want to take part in the digital economy, then you've got to have a future, and there's got to be a commercial aspect to music on the internet, or film on the internet, or television programmes on the internet, just as there is with, with the normal analogue world. If a song gets played on Radio New Zealand, the songwriter earns a, a, a return. If a song gets played on the internet, we say it should be no different. As the chief executive of South Pacific Pictures, John Barnett, points out, for those creating musical films, it's not usually as simple as filling out a timesheet to be able to pay the bills. They don't get a wage to go and make the music every week. What they do is, if they're successful, they get another go. And that's what's happened, you know, fortunately to us, I guess, in the movie business. In the film industry, copyright underpins the huge investment needed to make movies. $100 million for a Hollywood blockbuster, hundreds of thousands of dollars for a no-budget film. So those putting money into movies demand copyright in order to recoup their investment via the likes of the cinema release, DVD sales and sales to pay TV. New Zealand filmmaker Jonathan King says it's a formula that's now being undermined. It'll be all about the guaranteed dead cert put at the blockbuster in the theatres that everybody goes and sees and they can spin off the McDonald's tie-in and they can spin off all the merchandising and the toys. Yeah, and, and, and it'll be impossible for smaller films to get made because there isn't those other revenue streams for smaller films. So that's the concern to me as a filmmaker of the way things are going, that it doesn't hurt the blockbusters, it hurts all the other things that used to use other revenue streams. If it won't really play in the theatre or won't play for long, those are the ones that are going to dry up and that don't have other tie-in potential. So it's intelligent movies for grown-ups forget about it, you know, they're going to start disappearing. Piracy managed to dent the income from the New Zealand film Sione's Wedding, as John Barnett from South Pacific Pictures explains. They most probably removed half a million dollars from the box office. They most probably removed 20,000 DVDs from the DVD sale. So, you know, there is a real cost to all that. Trying to stem the tide of piracy in the film industry is the New Zealand Federation Against Copyright Theft, the local arm of the Motion Picture Association of America. New Zealand makes great films. And it's not just New Zealanders saying that. But film piracy puts all this at risk. Burning, buying or downloading pirated films may seem harmless. But what you're really burning is the future of our film industry. The Federation's executive director is Tony Eaton. I think for us, the creative industries, ISPs and users need to have a clear framework in which we need to operate. That's it. We don't have that at the moment in time. Given the fact that 80% of peer-to-peer traffic is illegal downloading, it's clear we're unable to rely on existing 
solutions that are in place. We need an effective solution now, and that's what we're after. So the update of the Copyright Act included a clause that aimed to give some legal backing to those trying to halt illegal downloading. What the creative industries wanted was the internet service providers to pass on warning letters to any of their clients believed to have illegally shared files. But they also wanted the ISPs to have policies that meant someone who failed to heed several warnings would have their internet account disconnected. That's something that we're not looking at using lightly. Um, but there needs to be a stick at the end of it, that if you don't abide by three warning notices and you still continue to illegally file share, then there has to be a sanction, an ultimate sanction. Both Tony Eaton and the Recording Industries' Campbell Smith believe that losing an internet account would change people's behaviour. In Sweden, the day a law aimed at combating illegal file sharing was introduced, internet traffic in the country fell by a third. Here too, many people appear to have cut back on file sharing during the first round of noisy debate. Campbell Smith from the Recording Industry Association. We saw a massive downturn, those 200,000 peer-to-peer accounts. We saw a downturn in the activity just while it was being discussed. And then when it, the government came out and said, we're suspending the provision so that we can you know, discuss it further, that number went right back up again. So I think even the conversation about the possibility of termination of internet account had an, had an effect on the illegal activity. If the new version of the S92A clause gives them the option, Tony Eaton says the New Zealand Federation Against Copyright Theft will be poised with infringement notices. We will be sending out notices. It depends on the amount of illegal activity that we do see. I make no bones of that. But what we're looking at is an education process, first and foremost. The film and music industries argue that disconnection from one ISP, while an inconvenience, isn't as harsh as other deterrents, such as being placed on a no-internet blacklist or fines. In the United States, in the only music file-sharing case to go to trial, a jury ordered a single mother of four to pay $3 million for illegal downloading. Here, Campbell Smith says suing music downloaders has never been an option. The ultimate sanction was the termination of an internet account. It wasn't banning anyone from the internet. We were simply saying, you have an account with this ISP. It's been used for infringing activity. You've had one warning, two warnings, and the behavior hasn't changed. You've been you know, caught infringing a third time. So this account is being terminated. Um, and that really doesn't stop anybody obviously having multiple internet accounts or going and opening another one the next day. It's not banning anyone from the internet. But it was the threat of disconnection from the internet which thrust the rather esoteric issue of copyright into the mainstream. At the forefront was the Creative Freedom Foundation, set up last December to represent artists who didn't support the S92A clause. The foundation started an online petition, helped galvanise a protest on the grounds of Parliament, and also had tens of thousands of people blacking out their websites. A co-founder of the Creative Freedom Foundation, Bronwyn Holloway-Smith, explains the organisation's objections to the contentious clause. Disconnections are one-size-fits-all penalty that has the potential to affect whole organisations or businesses or family units for the actions of one person. Uh, it's not targeted like fines could be, for instance. And unfortunately, this review process has really set out to determine that the process leading to account termination is uh, clearly defined, so they've really set the scope there. 
on a philosophical level, I think there's a real problem with internet disconnection uh, in that it has real ability to be used to affect freedom of speech. We've seen similar laws like the DMCA in the States being used as a form of censorship. Ms Holloway-Smith says for many people these days, access to the internet is as fundamental as access to electricity. People are seeing internet as a necessary utility for social participation for business and France has recently rejected their Hadopi law which was a guilt upon accusation style law similar to section 92A uh, after finding significant constitutional problems with it and uh, particularly the cutting people off the internet part. For those businesses that provide access to the internet, the new law seemed to be a technical and bureaucratic nightmare, and they say it was never going to be easy for them to do what was asked of them. Jamie Baddeley, the president of the association which represents most of New Zealand's internet service providers, explains. New ways of using this approach called peer-to-peer are changing all the time. Pieces of software that people use to transfer copyrighted material a new form of software can appear overnight and ISPs can have the best fingerprinting technologies in the world but if someone invents something new then you know that, that technology is virtually useless. Even if an infringement can be traced back to a specific computer Mr Baddeley says it can be impossible to know just who was using it. Even if it is detected somehow that there was copyrighted material being downloaded, it's also very hard to isolate who the exact infringer was. You know, consider it in a home or in a business. It's quite difficult. Down, you, know, you could isolate it down to perhaps a business level, but it's very, very difficult to isolate it down to who the, the employee might have been that was infringing. So it's, it's hard to track down where the problem actually is. Ernie Newman is the chief executive of the Telecommunications Users Association. He's worried that a flood of allegations about copyright abuse will mean that his members, organisations that have large computer networks, will come into conflict with their own staff. When you think that through, if the alleged transgressor is an employee, you run into issues with their employment contract and their human rights, because these days if you are cut off from your company network, your employer's network, you effectively can't work for them. And so people may actually end up in a position where they lose their job because of um, an allegation that they are not in a position to dispute. And he believes it's all far too much cost for business. The last thing that our members as major employers want in the present economic circumstances is to have to assign people to going through um, potentially thousands of these copyright notices, working out who the affected employee is, work out how many allegations each one's had and try to deal with that. It's just a huge imposition that is completely unworkable. Ernie Newman acknowledges that companies do need to have policies to ensure the acceptable use of their computer networks but believes a policy on illegal downloading would be difficult to enforce. Where the the difference lies is that under the present legislation, the alleged transgressor has no inbuilt right to defend the allegation. And so there is no distinction made between an allegation and a level of proof. And uh, that is something that our members as employers do not want to get involved in. Just one ISP, World Exchange, is known to have recently terminated accounts of customers it thought were infringing copyright. So are other ISPs just turning a blind eye? Jamie Baddeley from the Internet Service Providers Association. It gets back to the fact that it is very hard to detect what is legal and non-legal use of the internet. We can tell 
broadly speaking at a sort of technical level by looking at what's known as transmission protocols, something that may be a peer-to-peer client and operation, but to actually look deeper into that uh, transfer of information and confirm whether that content is copyrighted, whether it is being legally or illegally used, is basically impossible. In addition to all the technical hassles, the ISPs feel the role being thrust on them leaves them vulnerable to complaints from disgruntled customers who feel wrongly accused. Brent McAnulty is the senior counsel at Telecom, the country's largest internet service provider. I certainly understand the difficulties that recording artists and the royalty uh, gatherers are, are facing in losing revenue, and some of this may be pinned to illegal downloads. And if that's the case, we, we want to assist and we want to make sure that, that copyright infringement doesn't happen. But, but we want it to be sensibly and we don't want to be sort of hung out to dry and, and being the, the judge, jury and executioner. The lack of a recourse to appeal, what the Creative Freedom Foundation deemed guilt upon accusation, is something most of the various groups hope the government will address by way of a new adjudication service. A copyright tribunal does exist, but deals only with disputes about copyright licences, and then only infrequently. A case now before the tribunal about the licensing for music played on commercial radio stations is only the seventh case it's heard since it was set up more than 30 years ago. But Bromon Holloway-Smith believes a tribunal with broader powers could help. I mean, this not only has the potential to be uh, targeted punishments based on the scale of the crime, but also has the potential for uh, penalties or for fine payments to, to make their way back to artists as a form of compensation. So I think it's a much better potential solution for artists and uh, internet disconnection is... You know, has much more potential to just end up reflecting badly and, and to cause public disrespect for copyright. Campbell Smith from the Recording Industry Association says all sides agree there has to be some sort of independent panel to settle disputes. We were in agreement around these issues. You know, A third-party adjudicator was important. There should be a process of notices before termination of an account. Um, you know, What it came down to uh, for us in our conversations with the with the ISPs that we were talking to was about cost, you know, who bore what cost. And, and uh, you know, that's, that was really one of the significant issues that we, we couldn't agree on. One of the other bugbears for those opposed to S92A has been the fact that the ISPs are asked to take on trust that the computer user, their client, has actually infringed copyright. Campbell Smith argues any material the copyright holders will offer as evidence of infringement would stack up in court. Our evidence-gathering software and processes have never failed. They have a 100% success record when relied on in court and when tested in court in Europe. Telecom's Brent McAnulty agrees that the industry's systems seem robust, although he points out they haven't been tested in court here. They've shown us the systems which they use to detect illegal activity. And look, as a lawyer and, and not someone with a, with a particularly uh, strong technical mind, what they were showing me looked pretty good. And now our technical people have had a look at it too to see the sort of software that's being used. He would also like an independent tribunal. We would prefer that an independent body, be it the Copyright Tribunal or the court itself, was the, the arbiter of, of what or whether illegal activity has taken place. So if that was in place, then, then absolutely I think we can talk about termination being the ultimate sanction. And Mr McAnulty says all ISPs will have to sign up to any future deal. We've had discussions with the likes of Rians and, and APRA over quite a few years now, and we've said that we're, we're willing to talk about a compromise with them. 
but it needs to involve the whole industry. Otherwise, we will lose lose customers, obviously, to our competitors who may not have the, um, I guess, the same drive to help tidy this up. For Internet New Zealand, which oversees the .nz domain name, there is a long list of things that will have to be considered. Keith Davidson is the executive director. I think if there was some safe harbour provisions for an ISP, if there was some method of appeal for an individual user who was disconnected, if there were a number of safeguards to protect um, the innocent and and those who are involuntarily caught in, in such a regime, then it could go some way to making a more acceptable situation for the service providers. And I, I guess also some level of compensation for their time spent. Uh, you know, this would require considerable amounts of efforts by the ISPs to police and so on. To try to draw together all these disparate interests, the Minister of Commerce, Simon Power, has set up a high-powered group of copyright law experts. They're about to send out a working paper upon which the key interest groups will get to comment. Opponents to the S92A clause are concerned that the possibility of disconnection appears to be still on the table. But the Prime Minister John Key, speaking at the time the government put the legislation on ice, didn't shy away from the idea of firm legal parameters. The internet isn't the wild west where you can simply abandon any pretenses that copyright holders are entitled to either compensation or recognition for their work. I I don't accept that. It's a modern form of media. And on that basis, you know, copyright holders should have their property rights uh, recognised. What the minister in charge of the review, Simon Power, wants is something that works. I think everybody wants certainty around the rules. Uh, it may well be that there's more black letter law than was previously suggested. But in the end, I'm less fussed about the instrument that's used and more fussed about the certainty and clarity that has to come out of the process. Otherwise, um, rights holders and users are in an incredibly difficult position, and that's obviously what we're trying to avoid. Whatever New Zealand comes up with will be closely scrutinised overseas, where others are grappling with the same issue. A new report on the future of Britain's digital economy says ISPs will be required to cut illegal file sharing by 70% within a year. In Sweden, in April, a court jailed four men who were behind a high-profile file-sharing website, the Pirate Bay. In Australia, a major ISP and the Australian Federation Against Copyright Theft are in court, tussling over whether the ISP failed to enforce its terms and conditions. But have attempts to crack down on downloading come too late, and is the issue too complex? Yes, says Internet New Zealand's Keith Davidson. At the end of the day, we think these laws will fail um, and illegal downloaders will continue uh, with their activities just driven further underground. Maybe, says the ISP's Jamie Baddeley. In some respects, we really only have one chance to get this right. If, if we, it ends up being a fairly clumsy attempt at getting right, you will, you will create a situation where what I describe as a grey market will go black users who who insist on engaging in this kind of behaviour will find different ways of effectively cloaking what they're doing. And at that point it will become absolutely impossible to detect whether they're downloading legal or illegal content. And I said that you can't always get what you want, honey. You can't always...
always get what you want. Whatever the result of the New Zealand Review, there are changes underway in the industry. In Britain, Virgin Media has teamed up with Universal, the world's largest music company, to offer broadband users a music download service which includes acts from Universal's catalogue such as the Rolling Stones, U2 and Duffy, for a fee. That's the model preferred by Rianz's Campbell Smith. You know, my personal belief is that I think the future of music access is by, uh, via subscription services, that you know, you'll pay a regular amount of money and you'll have access to all the music you want to have access to. And we're working hard to make sure that those sort of situations happen in New Zealand sooner rather than later. I think, yes, we do, we, we do, have, um, uh, we do have an obligation on us to provide the market with um, more choice. In the movie industry too, legal download services for internet users are starting to spring up. The Federation Against Copyright Thefts, Tony Eaton. Xbox and uh, TiVo have announced that they are um, going to be in, in the broadcasting medium by the end of the year, something that we're extremely excited about, and that will offer legal alternatives promptly. But Bronwyn Holloway-Smith thinks the industry has been too slow to adapt. There's still this popular business model of cinema release dates and DVD release dates uh, so online you're not even trying to compete with that consumer demand you've got people like the CEO of Sony saying that I'm a guy who hasn't even seen anything good come of the internet period. Filmmaker Jonathan King agrees that the industry needs to give consumers options rather than disconnections. Educating the users, educating new generations of people that it's not right is part of it. But in fact, I think the onus is on suppliers and the, the, the owners of these bigger corporations, I guess, you know, um, people who distribute films, for example, and music, to harness that technology and the way people are, are accessing stuff and work out how to make it work to everyone's benefit. For John Barnett from South Pacific Pictures, what's at stake is no less than the future of New Zealand creative industries. There are an awful lot of people who want to make films. Look at the number of people who you know, do the 48-hour film festival. Look at the number of people who take part in the, the Battle of the Bands, you know, all the rock concerts at school, and they all play this, and they all think, wouldn't it be great to have a, 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 a livelihood doing this? It would, but they ain't going to have one if people steal what they do. And 20-year-old Kate... What would make her change her ways? How could you be so if I knew what I was doing was really badly hurting the artists and the music industry was going downhill, then I'd probably start buying albums more instead of just trying to get it off the internet. I do enjoy music and I don't want it to kind of stop because of all this internet downloading. That programme was written and presented by Kim Griggs. The producer was Sue Ingram.